We move in you. We have our being in you. We thank you. We have a relationship with you. It is miraculous. It really is. Thank you. you all you ask from us is just simple trust. That's all. Simple acceptance of what you've done for us. We thank you. You've not made it hard for any one of us to come to you. We make it hard for us to come to you. People make it hard sometimes. Religion makes it hard for us to approach you. But you're not into any of that stuff. You make it really, really easy for us to come to you. And we want to say thank you. We want to say thank you. You say, come unto me. Everyone. Anyone. Not just a certain category of people. Not just a certain class of people. Not just the rich or just the poor, but anyone, rich and poor alike, come unto me. I've got something for you. You can lay your burdens down, you can lay your troubles down, and I'll give you rest. The one thing that the world can't give us, the one thing that our careers and our jobs and all of the great things that we have can't give us. We can't find rest for our soul in all of these things. Good though they may be, they can't give us rest. But thank you for the invitation, Jesus. And though we've never seen you with our eyes, we don't claim to have ever seen you with our eyes, we thank you. Somehow we know you. We do know you. And we just love you today, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus another big clap and shout before you sit down. Wonderful. Well, Faye is at home today. She's not very well. So please, yeah, please keep her in your prayers. She would uh, really appreciate that. And I would too, because if she isn't very well by the time I get back home, I've got to make the dinner. And that is not going to be a pretty sight, I can tell you. Going to find some microwave meals or we're going to go down to McDonald's, I don't know. It's not going to be a healthy dinner if I'm in charge of it, I tell you. Going to get some beans and some chips and who knows, Brussels sprouts and swede and mix it all together and serve it to the children. And I'll have a kebab later. I'll fast dinner, I'll make it for the kids, and then I'll have something good when they've gone to bed. Amen. Like good parents do. Thank you, Jesus. You know the score. That's why you're laughing. But um, yeah, please continue to uh, pray for Faye. Do you know what? Faye had prepared a really great word uh, this morning. Uh, she was going to minister that. And uh, I know that that would have blessed you. It really would have. Um, but, you know, maybe next week she can do that. And can I say this while she's not here? I didn't get a chance to say it a few weeks ago. When we were in Norway, and I know I'm going to be biased because it's my wife, she ministered 
absolutely incredibly, really. Um, you know, there was a number of opportunities where she spoke, and she was far better than me, I can tell you. She was absolutely fantastic and ministered into that situation and saw people's lives really impacted by what she said. So I'm so encouraged as her husband, and I know that, that you are too, but I really am so encouraged as her husband just to see what God is doing in faith. I really am. I tell you, she is so passionate about the house of God. She is so passionate about God's people. You, you all know that because you get the little messages and the WhatsApps and you see her doing all of that stuff. And I, I, I very rarely say what I'm saying, but um, I'm, I'm so proud of her. I really am. Excellent. Fantastic. This morning, we are going to uh, continue just looking at this phrase, growing in God's grace, that Peter uses as he speaks to believers, as he speaks to the church that he was right into. It was on his heart. We're going to look at one, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, where Peter actually uses this phrase, and then we're going to move out from there. 2 Peter chapter 3 says this, you therefore, beloved, since you know be this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Fantastic words, an amazing phrase that we've been looking at. Grace is very tangible. Grace is very real. Grace, we have said, is not some kind of invisible force. Grace, when it's in your life and when you're growing in grace, is very visible. It's very visible. It's really evident if you're not growing in grace. Life presents all of us with many challenges. Life makes demands on all of us to respond to it in many different ways. And there's lots of different ways to respond to life every single day. There's lots of ways, as you well know, to respond to your children. There's lots of ways uh, to respond to the situations in your home every day, and it becomes very apparent what you're growing in or what you're not growing in. If you're growing in grace, what we've said is this, that you're equipped to deal with any situation that life presents itself to you. You are equipped, as you grow in grace and as I grow in grace, to deal with any situation in your home, in your family, in your marriage, out there in the world, you are equipped because God's grace will enable you to have the answers and to have the resources and to have the necessaries to help people and to be the person that He has created you to be. Grace is a wonderful, a wonderful attribute of God that we are allowed to grow in. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us something absolutely amazing when he says that you were saved by grace. You were saved by grace through faith. 
And this is not of yourselves. It's a free gift from God. The only thing that was required for you to receive this grace was simple trust, simple faith, simple acceptance. And God lavished his goodness and God lavished his mercy upon you. And as a result of that, you were saved by grace. And that's a complete salvation, a complete work of God to make you whole. But you've not only been saved by grace. Peter tells us that we are growing in this grace that saved us. It's wonderful that there's been that initial moment in all of our lives where God came to us when we were dead in our sins and he raised us up and made us alive together in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul was talking about in Ephesians chapter 2. It's an amazing, incredible picture and description of what happened when God came to us, when we were in our sins, when we were far away. Read it when you get home, maybe Ephesians chapter 2. It's incredible what grace has done. Grace has saved you. Grace has made you whole. Grace has made you complete. You can never be snatched out of God's hand. Never. You can, let me, let me say this for the record. And whether, whether people like it or not, religious people, they can argue all they want. You can never lose your salvation. Never lose it. You can't. There are so, so many scriptures that, that prove that, that, that ensure that our salvation is secure in Christ Jesus as a result of the grace and the mercy of God. You've, you've, you, you are complete in that. You can't lose your salvation. This grace that saved you is a grace that's growing in you. A grace at work within you. And as a result of that grace growing in you, it's visible. It's tangible. It's evident. So there's going to be situations in your life where this grace just wants to get out. Out of you. From within you to the outer world. So that it can have expression. Whether it's through kindness. Whether it's through an encouraging word. Whether it's through a helping hand. Don't ever write yourself off. Look at that little boy that, we, that Daniel read about this morning. At his, at his mother's bedside, she was dying. I mean, what a moment. What an awful moment for a child to go through. That's an ending moment. That's a closing moment. You wouldn't think that any such resolve could come from such a young child. You wouldn't think that there would be any kind of great future as a result of that little boy being at his mother's bedside, seeing her pass into another world. But he made a promise that day, and God heard that promise of that young boy. And he began to read that word of God. And that word of God dwelt within him richly. And as a result of the word of God. And as a result of his habit of reading it every day. Grace was growing in him. When grace is growing in you. You just don't know what's going to happen with your life. But I'm telling you now. Something good is going to happen. Exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. You know sometimes we have low ideas and low estimations of, of ourselves, and that's fine. That's not a problem. But I'm just asking you to be aware 
of this grace that's growing inside you. I'm asking you to become aware of this wonderful favor of God that's within you, that's rising up within you, that's going to lead you and guide you into things that you never thought were in your future, but they're there. Maybe people have told you that you haven't got a future or much of a future. Maybe people have told you that, you know, well, you know, you're just going to be on the treadmill like anybody else, like that little hamster running on the wheel and never getting anywhere, but think, thinking he's going everywhere, but never really going anywhere, but in circles. And you think, my life is just going to be like that hamster on that wheel. No, no, it's not, my friends. No, it is not. Because of God's word. God's word, not, just, not because you're going to have some kind of great idea or great ambition. No, God's going to surprise you with this grace that's growing inside you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says that we are the workmanship of God, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works are ahead of you. Prepared by God beforehand for you to walk in. They really are. You're just going to bump into them. You're just going to be surprised by them. And attached to that good work is, is going to be a longing. The expression of grace that's growing inside you to get out of you and into the world in which you live. And people are going to see it and people are going to be aware of it. And you're going to rejoice at what's done through your hands. You really are. Grace is not invisible. Grace is visible. Grace is visible. And I mentioned last week, you know, you just got to look at, you just got to look at Jesus' life. Bible says that he was full of grace and truth. He wasn't full of the law. He wasn't full of the Ten Commandments. He didn't even refer to the Ten Commandments. Here's God in the flesh walking down the street. And he doesn't even refer to the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. No, he just went into his world and he began to heal the sick. He began to bring liberty and life and freedom wherever he went. He began to set people free. And before long, people were coming to him to receive from him what they needed. And grace dispensed goodness. And grace dispensed life. And grace was the answer and, and the blessing and the salvation to every single need. No need came to Jesus that he didn't have an answer for. He never resigned himself to the fact of, well, I just can't deal with this problem. No, grace is incredible. It's indescribable because it answers all of the human needs that are around us. It really does. When we look at Jesus, we see something wonderful. I mentioned a number of weeks ago, and I think it's worth mentioning again about how Peter had to grow in grace. You see, it's very evident when you don't have this grace inside of you. It's very evident. I could tell you about all of the ungracious moments of my life. There's been lots of them. Where you've been a Christian, but you haven't had the grace necessary to deal with the challenges of life. So life has come at you, but because you haven't had that necessary grace to meet the need, you've made a mess of things. But that's okay. 
Because you're learning. You're growing. And God doesn't mind that. Growing in grace. When it came to it, Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, got down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. There's grace. There's grace. They should have been washing his feet. They knew that the towel and, and the bowl were, were at the other side of the room, but everybody looked away from it, I'm sure, because they knew that the guest of honor, it was customary for them to wash his feet, and yet nobody, nobody could do it. Why? Because they were high-minded. They had a they had an overestimated idea of who they were. Just hours before, they were arguing, who's the greatest? Jesus, I want to sit at your right hand. I want to sit at your left side, Jesus. We're the greatest. And these arguments of who's the greatest and this competition, that's the world, friends. That's not the church. That's not the kingdom of God. That's not what Jesus expects. Who's the greatest? Jesus said, listen, if you want to be the greatest, become the least. If you want to be the greatest, become the servant of all. Don't have a high opinion of yourself and don't criticize others and tread on the neck of another person to get up the ladder. That's not the kingdom of God. You'll never go anywhere in the kingdom if you have that attitude running through your spirit. So Jesus does this incredible demonstration of what greatness is. And they were just baffled by it. They couldn't get it like I'm sure we would have. And I'm not here to slag off the disciples this morning, let me tell you. Because I'm a disciple myself. And much of what those disciples went through and were challenged with, we will be challenged with. So nobody's slagging these guys off. They're a great object lesson to us. They really are. Jesus gets on his knees, starts washing their feet, starts doing something unimaginable. And it brought protest from Peter. You're never doing that to me. And Jesus said, listen, if I cannot do this to you, you have no part with me. He was saying, listen, Peter, if you don't get this at the core and at the center of your being, we're at an ending point here. And then Peter just comes out with an extreme awe. Lord, not just my feet. Wash my entire body. He washed their feet. Grace. And then he told them about his suffering. You see, grace doesn't back off. It just keeps going. It doesn't matter how hard it is ahead. It doesn't matter what the journey is. It doesn't matter what the threats are. It doesn't matter what the future says. Grace just keeps going forward. It doesn't run away. There's a tremendous strength and resilience in grace that just keeps going forward. It doesn't run away. And when Peter heard this, in his human strength, to impress others because there was this ungracious spirit in him, he just rose up and said, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll be with you to the end and I'll die with you. And Jesus, grace, it, it, you see, grace can hear the hollow, empty promises. It can hear it. We can give all of the promises in the world to God. We can give all of the promises in the world to one another. But grace hears the empty 
hollow promises of the human heart. Doesn't condemn it, but corrects it. Peter, listen. Before the morning, you would have denied me three times, son. And that he did. He goes into the garden. Jesus goes out to meet those thousand soldiers that had come to arrest him. And he moves towards him. He doesn't run away. He's not going anywhere. Grace has prepared him for that moment. And he goes to embrace them because in God's plan, he knew that they had to capture him and take him to the next place of his life. He goes towards them, but Peter ungraciously lifts his sword out and starts chopping and cutting. And he finally takes a man's ear off and Jesus graciously heals the ear of Malchus. There's a difference between somebody who's full of grace and somebody that hasn't got grace. It's evident. It's evident. And when life pressures you, when life presses you, God wants you and I to have that necessary grace inside us so that we don't, you know, resort to the to the the old way and the old tactics that we once resorted to, anger and bitterness and aggression. That's what Peter did. God wants us to have that grace that we're growing in that enables us to respond. To each and every situation of life, graciously, where life isn't ruling over us. But as the Bible says, we are reigning in life through Christ Jesus. More than conquerors, through Christ who strengthens us, grace enables you to conquer. Grace enables you to respond to all of the various challenges that face you in life, just like like Jesus did. Grace. Grace is visible. Grace is evident. Grace is tangible. We looked last week at Luke chapter 10, the story that Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. What an incredible story that was that we read about. And you know, that priest... And that Levite that passed that man, that dying man on the Jericho Road, they just walked, walked by. I think the biggest surprise that that man got when he, on, on the Jericho Road that had been beaten and left half dead, I think the greatest surprise that he got that day was not being robbed. Although that would have been a surprise. Because the the Jericho road was a notorious road. It was a notorious stretch from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was renowned for thieves and bandits and robbers. It was renowned to be a very violent road. His surprise wasn't getting beaten up and stripped and left half dead. He took that risk and he ran into trouble for it. But that wasn't his greatest surprise. I'm sure that one of his greatest surprises was when maybe through closed eyes he saw that priest look on him and he thought that that man was going to help him. I think one of the greatest surprises that that man had was when that priest just coldly walked by. That priest had all of the decoration that he was a religious man. He could talk the talk, you see. 
He had the law on his body, a miniature of the law strapped to his, his, his wrist. And yet when it came to offering help, when it came to involving his life in that poor man's life, he walked on by so coldly, so callously. The Levite came and, and we said that he had a great history, a great heritage. Man, he was of the tribe of Levi and that made him a renowned, a, 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 a reputable man in society. He was a man of renown because he was a Levite. And yet with all of his history, with all of his great heritage, with his great name, you're a Levite, he walked by. The priest had position, the Levite had heritage, and yet they were cold. Cold to human need. They couldn't even help a man that was dying. And then this Samaritan, this Samaritan that had no religious background, that the Jews actually called dogs. They called them dogs. And I'm not getting off on the Jews, all right? But I'm just, I'm just stating fact. The Jews called the Samaritans dogs. They would not go through the region of Samaria because they felt that the, that the Samaritans were just godless people, idol worshippers. And they would skirt round Samaria. They wouldn't even go through the country because they felt that if they went through the country, they would be compromising and they would be polluting. That's how strongly these people thought about the Samaritans. And yet Jesus uses this good Samaritan. He was on the road. Alone with that man. And it says that he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. And that, com that compassion demanded that he do something. When you're growing in grace, that you're going to be aware of compassion. You're going you're to be aware of, of a longing inside you to get involved in people's lives that have problems. You're going to be aware of a drawing and an aching need to get involved in people's lives. Not to go ba 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 but to practically help them. And when they ask you why you're doing what you're doing, you'll be able to tell them because do you know what? God helped me when I was in need. God helped me when I needed a friend. God sent a person to me when, when, when everybody was talking about me. God sent a friend to me to talk some good into my life. And that's what I'm doing to you. You're going to feel impelled within you to reach into the world of another person. People that you meet. Grace is going to enable you to do it. You're growing in this grace. And this grace is going to empower you. And it's going to give you the necessaries to help other people. This man gets down. You know the story. And it, Luke chapter 10 tells us he poured in the oil and the wine. These are symbolic things. Things that, were high, that, that had high regard in the day. Medical elements 
that we use to treat wounds. It says that he poured oil and wine on this man's needy life. And then he took him up and he took him to an inn and he said to the innkeeper, whatever this man needs, I'll cover the bill. I'll be back in a few days. I'll cover the bill, whatever he uses. This is, you see, this is what ministry is. This is what ministry is. People get all bent out of shape. Well, I want to be this and I want to be that and I want to be great. And basically what they want is a title. But you know what? Titles do nothing, friends. They do absolutely squat. You can have a title. You can have a title pastor. What's that? Do you you really want to spend the rest of your life just to get a title pastor? Give me a break. No way. I don't want to just live and just, you know, just try and do what I can do just to get a title on my door. I haven't got one and I don't want one on the door. Pastor, who cares? I would rather people just call me Dave and I tell them to. Pastor this, pastor that. I feel like a bowl of pasta sometimes. <laughs> let's, let's get rid of the titles, friends. Let's get rid of them. Job descriptions, functions. I mean, I don't, I don't call you Plumber John, do I? <laughs> or Carpenter Jim? Why do you call me Pastor Dave? I know it's a mark of respect. I accept that. Please, I'm not getting off on anybody. But call me Dave. I am more than happy with that. You see, sometimes when, we, when we've got these titles, there can be a little bit of a distance. I don't like it, friends. I tell you that now, I don't like it. I don't like it. I would, pastor is a role and a function. But you know what? Most of you are pastors every day of your life. When you're, when, you're, when you're picking up your friends and encouraging them and helping them and just, you know, getting them through the day. Most of you are doing the work of the ministry, pastoring people. He took this man to a home. The men with titles did nothing. The man that was at the back of the queue when it came to being spiritual did everything, friends. And it's awesome. This is what grace is in this Samaritan. In his, just his kindness, his actions, and his generosity. Do you know there's, a, there's a, quite an amazing story about Pastor Bill Wilson. He runs the, the largest Sunday school in the world now in New York. <laughs> and um, when he was a young, a young boy... He was abandoned by his parents, and his parents left him on the corner of a street in New York. And he retells the story. Pastor Bill Wilson has been here a number of times, and he's an incredible minister, an incredible minister of the gospel, and an incredible work of grace that God has done in his life. And he retells the story about when he was left on the street as a young boy by his parents. And he says, I looked up at the many thousands of people that were passing me every day, and I wondered, would there be one that would take me? Would there be one that would help me? Would there be one that would reach me? 
And the first day came and went, and nobody reached out to help Pastor Bill as a young boy. The second day came, and again, he went through all the night. The second day arrived, many thousands of people in that bustling city passed him by, wondering he was whether somebody would take hold of him and take him in. Nobody. Nobody out of all of those thousands of people were growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ as Peter commands us to. Nobody, many thousands of people passed him. The third day came and obviously he'd had no food, he'd had no water. So now he's completely weak, wondering whether there would be one. And at the end of that day, a man, an elderly man took hold of Bill Wilson and took him home. And Bill Wilson had to live in a, in a little cupboard because that's all that the man had. And then the story went on. He went to a youth camp and he said, for the first time as an orphan, as a broken kid with no hope, with no future, thrown on the side of the street, nowhere to go, no, no help available, for the first time in a youth camp, I became aware of the presence of Jesus. And he says this, and it's a remarkable testimony. He says, there my life changed forever. Not everything became right. Not everything immediately and automatically happened for Bill. But he became aware of God's presence. And then as the years passed, God directed him. Grace was growing in him. And this grace had an unusual direction for his life. This grace had an unusual course. What I'm trying to say to you is this. Grace is growing in you. Let grace direct you. Let grace take you on its crazy journey. You don't know what, what, what lives and what homes your life is going to affect. Yeah, but I'm shy. Yeah, but I'm, I, I don't feel included. Yeah, but I've got all of these hang-ups. Let grace take over. Let grace grow over all of those things that you, would, that you would count yourself out with. Let grace grow and take you on this journey. As it did so many of the disciples. Grace grew in Pastor Bill Wilson. And now he has the largest Sunday school in the world, works all over the world. Who knows what grace can do? Who knows what grace can do in our lives? Who knows? Allow it to grow. Your life is not determined by the words of a man. Your life, let me tell you, is not determined by the words of a pastor or by the words of the church. We thank God for pastors. We thank God for Ephesians 4 ministries that the Bible talks about. But your, the, 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 the life of God and the destiny and the future that you have is not determined by any human being. It's determined by the grace of God that's growing inside of you. And all we have to do is say, Lord, please, I'm available. Use me. Use me. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. 
Thank you, Jesus. In some ways, all of us have been on that Jericho road. It may have not been a physical road like that man was on. It may have been in your kitchen crying your eyes out, not knowing what to do. All of us have been on that Jericho road in different ways. It may have been that you've come to the end of yourself. You can't go on. And there's nobody you feel that's interested in your need. They passed you by. Your Jericho road could have been like blind Bartimaeus' Jericho road when Jesus was passing by and many thousands of people were going in front of Jesus and Bartimaeus just called out, said, what's going on? They said, Jesus, the son of David, is passing by. And this blind man whose life was full of darkness in a very physical sense that he couldn't remove himself from, began to cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the thousands of people came to him just like they passed Bill Wilson. They passed him too, but sternly rebuked him. Be quiet. Shut up. You've got no right to speak. Jesus is too busy. Je All of the excuses would have come out. All of the hostile words that painted Jesus as this person that was distant and removed and not interested in human needs. All of that came to that man forcibly from other people. Jesus doesn't want you. Jesus is not interested in you. You're a beggar. You're a down and out. You've got no future. Look at you. You're an excuse. And he cried all the more. He wouldn't allow. That's faith, you see. That's a man that's readying himself for the arrival of God's grace. Grace and faith cried out son of David screaming his head off now over all of the doubt and unbelief the people were speaking to him son of David have mercy on me have mercy on me the Bible says this Jesus stopped oh I love it I love it and said bring him here to me and then all of those people all of those negative people suddenly turned around and said quick bring him to Jesus he wants him you see grace will never ignore you or I grace will never pass us by grace will never be distant grace is involved grace is visible it's not invisible it's it's not just a good intention it's action right at the core to change and transform and bring blessing. And out of respect, I find this absolutely wonderful. Out of respect for another human being. Jesus didn't just do what he knew needed done in that man's life out of complete respect for him. 
He said, what do you want me to do for you, sir? Imagine that, the king of the universe, the God of heaven and earth, full of grace and truth, in complete respect for another human being, not looking down on him as a, as a low life or criticizing him for his status in life. In complete humble service to that man, he says, what can I do for you? Jesus said, I've not come to serve, but I have come to serve. I have come to serve. I've not come for a title. I've not come for a position. I've come to serve. And in complete respect for that man, he said, Sir, what can I do for you? I want to see. Of course you do. Receive your sight. And he received it. And his eyes opened. And I know we may find that incredible. I know we may find that unbelievable. But Jesus can open the eyes of the blind. Jesus can heal our sick bodies. Jesus can even raise dead people. I don't know how he does it, but grace can do it. We can't do it because we're not full of this grace, but we're growing in it. We're growing in it. He can lift people that are broken. He can make them whole. He can take people from the brink of taking their own life and bring them back and give them a life and a future that they never ever thought would be theirs. Because that's what he does. That's what grace does. Isn't it wonderful? And it's by this grace that you and I have been saved. And it's by this grace that we are growing in. Now there's going to be opportunities and situations. I'm telling you, I'm just telling you before. Because life is going to get really exciting. It's going to get really exciting. Your Christ life is going to be so expressive in this dark world. You're going to be healing the sick. The, your words are going to carry so much weight, so much power. Because they're going to be packed with the love and the compassion of Christ Jesus. The very, your, your very appearance is going to be a light. It's going to draw people. You're a city on a hill, the Bible says. Cannot be hidden. The light is attractive. It's not an exposing light. It's not a light that, that attacks. It's a welcoming light. It's a drawing light. It's a graceful light. It's a light that's full of life. It offers hope. It says to a dark world, come in here. We'll take care of you. Come in here. We have, we, we have more than you need. Come in here. We have answer for you. There's healing in this house. There's blessing from my hands, from my life. I'm telling you now, church, we are positioned to be a beacon of great light and hope in this nation. In this city, in Jesus' name. And we thank you for it, God. Before it happens, Lord, I thank you that I'm seeding the word. I'm seeding the hearts of your people with your word. I'm seeding the expectation of your spirit, of their spirit. I'm arousing their faith, their expectation. Lord, I thank you that the things that they are expecting, they will experience that their hands would be laid on sick bodies as the compassion of Christ, Lord, demands it. Lord, I thank you that their words as they speak them will be words as you speak. And God, it will bring great blessing and healing wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's give him praise for his word, church. We worship you, Jesus. We praise you in this place. We praise you in this place. Now today, you may not know Jesus. You may never have asked him into your life. You haven't got to clean your life up. Before you ask him in, I didn't clean my life up and nobody else in this place cleaned their life up simply because we can't. But Jesus is a savior. Do you know one day my, the engine on my car blew up. So I made a little call to the AA and the AA came and they fixed my car. But I made the call for them to come. Other times, we've had issues in, in our home where maybe the plumbing has gone wrong. You make a little call to a plumber, to somebody that knows how to fix things. They come into your home and they fix your heating so that you've got heating again. You've got to make the call. And it's like that with Jesus. Really simple. It's so wonderful. It's not hard. It's simple. He says, call to me from your heart. You won't get a voicemail. You won't get a series of options. When you call to him from your heart, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. You, they shall be saved. If you need your car fixing, you call the AA. If you need your heating fixing, you call a plumber. But if you need salvation, you call Jesus. He's the only one. There is no name. There is no other name by under heaven by which men can be saved other than the name of Jesus. And today, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to call on the name of Jesus. Close our eyes right now in respect for those who may want to pray this prayer with me. Quietly in your heart, would you say this? Repeat these words. These aren't perfect words. They're just words to help you. Want to help you. That's all I want to do. Pray this prayer. Jesus, right now, I call on your name to save me. Save me. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you for your grace and your love and your salvation to me. Amen.